0: You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit harvestyorkregion.ca. Amen. Church, I would invite you to take your seats and please open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1 this morning. Colossians chapter 1. We're going to be reading Colossians chapter 1 and chapter 2 and some of chapter 3 today. Uh, We have a high task uh, ahead of us, um, but I, I've noticed, as maybe you have yourself, uh, when we um, get out into God's creation, we can see the glory of God in many different ways, can we not? You can see the glory of God in a, in a micro way uh, when you look through a microscope, uh, when you see uh, atoms and molecules and chromosomes and small little bugs and the intricate detail in which God Wove it all together. In the micro level, we can see the glory of God. But on the other end, too, in the macro level, when you look through a telescope, like how many of us saw that cute little heart shape on the side of Pluto not too many weeks ago, we can see the glory of God in the stars and how he created all things. On the micro level, we can see the glory of God. On the macro level, we can see the glory of God. And I think it's the same way when we look at God's word As we have this summer, Pastor Paul has been uh, leading us through um, the Ten Commandments, and we've just been looking like one commandment each week on a micro level, and in that small way, we have seen the glory of God. But today, we're going to be looking at God's Word from a macro level. We could look at the book of Colossians and just, just look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 and 16 and see the supremacy of Christ, or we could just look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 to 4 and see what it means to walk in a mature lifestyle. And we could look at that in the micro level, but today we're going to look at the whole expanse, the macro level of the whole book of Colossians. And our goal today is to be able to see how the Colossians chapter 1 teaching of the supremacy of Christ influences a Colossians chapter 3 mature Christian lifestyle. So usually when like Pastor Paul is preaching... We have to wait to the end to get to the so what, right? Okay, well, I'm going to give it to you at the beginning today, all right? Pastor Paul's in Niagara. I'm going to flip things around. The so what today is Colossians chapter 1, verse 3 to 4. Let's read that together. Colossians, excuse me, Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 to 4. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 to 4 says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. That's where we want to get to today, church. We want to, together, confess our desire... For a mature Colossians chapter 3 Christian lifestyle. But in order to get to that, we need to go through the Colossians chapter 1 teaching of the supremacy of Christ. But I would ask you do, do you desire a mature Christian faith today? Do you no longer want to be the one that's tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine and every temptation that stirs up your heart? Do you want to be secure in setting your mind and the things above? Because I tell you, if that's what you want, if that's what you seek after, if that's what you would commit your life to, the scripture says, knock. And it will be open to you. Seek and you will find. You will find it and it will satisfy all of your heart's desires and needs. Do you want this today? This is our goal. And in order to get to a Colossians chapter 3 verse 1 to 4 mature faith, Paul through the book of Colossians is going to demonstrate to us three mindsets of a mature faith. Paul's going to show us three mindsets of a mature faith, and I trust that as you hear these mindsets, you will make it your goal to commit yourself to framing your mind around these things so that you would walk in a life of maturity. Now, Colossians chapter 1 starts out with a prayer. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 to verse 14. I want you to stand with me, and we're going to read this prayer, and together make it our own prayer today. This is God's word. It speaks to us today, and it says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Church, let's make this our prayer together. Father in heaven, we desperately need you. God, because I know my mindset is generally set upon the, my flesh and my selfish desires and what, how the world can satisfy those things. That's my default, Lord God. I'm not mature in myself. I'm lost and I'm foolish in myself, Lord God. Father, I know that's the truth of all people and you love your church, but this this is what we need, Lord God. We need our minds regaged and we need our bearing course corrected back towards you back towards your supremacy, back towards your authority, back towards your glory. So, Lord, I would pray that you would fill us with the knowledge of your will and spiritual wisdom and understanding today so that we would walk in a manner worthy of you, fully pleasing to you. Lord, cause us to bear fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of you. Give us the strength of your power according to your glorious might, the might that rose Jesus Christ from the dead. Give us the strength of this power that we would endure, Lord God, that we would endure with patience and with joy, giving thanks to you in all that we do because you have qualified your church. You have qualified your people. You have qualified us to share in the inheritance of the kingdom of God. And for that, we are fully and wholly indebted to you. But now, as we live our lives and days here on earth, our mindset, Lord God, set it, Lord God, towards a mature faith. Do this today, we ask in Jesus' name, according to the power of your spirit. Amen. Three mindsets of a mature faith. That's our goal today. Three mindsets of mature faith. Write this one down. Here's your first mindset. The mindset of a mature faith says, I will submit to the supremacy of Christ. I will submit to the supremacy of Christ. And understand, church, that you will submit to the supremacy of Christ when you understand Jesus' relationship to all things. You will submit to the supremacy of Christ when you understand Jesus' relationship to all things. So as we read verse 13, 15 to verse 17, keep your mind active and notice every time the scripture says all things, okay? Verse 15, he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. I will submit to the supremacy of Christ when I understand his relationship to all things. Well, how does Christ relate to all things? First, we can understand from this passage, all things were created through him and for him. In the beginning, all things were created through him. We can understand and we know that when God spoke, spoke by the word of his power, all things into existence, having created it through him, we can understand that it was created by his good design. All things created through him means that all things were created by God's good design. In the beginning, all things were created for him. When God spoke all things into existence, he didn't speak it so then it now exists apart for him for its own purposes. When it, because it was created through him, it was created for his own purpose, all things. All things are created through him and for him. All things exist by God's design and for God's purpose. And we, as the image bearers of God, as those who were created to be able to interact with God. We were created to enjoy God's good design. You were created to enjoy God's good design and to follow his prescribed purpose. I've never really been good at do-it-yourself projects. Maybe you have, and good for you. And <laughs> my wife has a high aspirations to do a lot of do-it-yourself products, and I believe she's going to do a great job of these. I am not that kind of guy, all right? So in grade nine woodshop, uh, project one, which was a lot of fun, was create a wooden stool, all right? And I did actually really good at this. I did really good at it after they trained us to use all the mechanical things, because they gave us instructions. And they gave us instructions how to create this stool, and I there was design with a purpose, and I followed the design, and the stool still actually functions its purpose. It's still in my kitchen, and my wife still uses it to reach the high cupboards. Uh, project two was just the worst. It's yeah, create whatever you want. I didn't even get past the design stage, and when I actually tried to start cutting wood and putting it together, it. It it completely failed. Because I couldn't even make a design, let alone decide that something would have a purpose and then allow itself to to function. (laughs) And, And frankly, frankly church, the reason our world is broken today is because we decided to rather than listen to God's prescribed design and purpose, We tried a do-it-yourself project, and what we ended up trying to build was a condo skyscraper built out of Ikea plywood held together by bolts and an Allen key, and it's no wonder that everything has fallen in on itself. Church, don't get confused. The reason there is death and suffering and disaster and economic instability and political uprising and sickness and all of this is because in rebelling against God's good design and purpose, we separated ourselves from the goodness of his presence. And being separated and absent from the goodness of God's presence, we incurred the fullness of God's wrath. The reason all of these things exist is because the world is broken is because we rebelled against God's good design and purpose. And now being separated from him, we don't just suffer the wrath of the curse of sin. We who are not in Christ, all who are not in Christ, will suffer the eternal wrath of a holy God. The world is broken, and it is because we've rejected his design and purpose. But, 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 the Lord did not leave us without hope. We can understand God's relationship to all things and knowing that he created all things with good design and good purpose. But God is not only supreme because he is creator. God is supreme, and Jesus Christ is supreme because he is the reconciler of all things. He did not leave us in our hopelessness. Let's read verse 18 to verse 20. It says, He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. He might be supreme. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. Reconciliation is the act of restoring a relationship that was broken. Don't be confused the reason that our world is in the mess that it is is because we have been separated from God's presence and that relationship is broken. But God is supreme because Jesus Christ is reconciling all things back unto the good design and the good purpose That he created for it. And the scripture tells us that he's doing it. He's doing it. By making peace. By the blood. Of his cross. You see in rebelling against God's good design and purpose. That set us as enemies. Against the Lord. We were rebels. And in setting us as enemies against him. We did and do incur his wrath. But, but, but. God provided a way of peace so that the relationship could be reconciled. And he provided that peace because the wrath that should have been poured out on us was poured out on Jesus Christ. Listen to the prophecy of the gospel in Isaiah 53, verse 5. It says of Jesus, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds, by his stripes, we are healed. So the question is, church, the question is, friend, what's your place in the supremacy of God? Verse 21 demonstrates you're only in one of two places, Verse 21 says, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind and doing evil deeds, 22, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless, above reproach before him. Church, friend, do not be mistaken. You are in one of two places under the supremacy of Christ. You are either having still been a rebel under his wrath or... If you believed in Jesus Christ, you have been reconciled back to him, and you no longer are an enemy and a rebel, but a friend and his own child with the inheritance of eternal life. But don't be confused. If you have not believed in the Lord Jesus Christ as the one who made and you're trying to find your own peace, don't be confused, the Lord is against you. The Lord is against you and you are under his wrath. You are completely and wholly and fully separated from him. But, 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 if your rebel heart will admit, I am the one, I am the one that has rejected God's good design and purpose, And if you would believe that Jesus Christ died in your place to take the punishment that you deserved, if you would believe that today, if you would lift your voice unto the Lord and lift your heart to God and confess, I am a sinner, but I believe Jesus died in my place, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And in this moment, when you do that, at that moment, you will no longer be that enemy under wrath, and the Lord will no longer be against you, but his arms will be be open towards you, and you will be reconciled back unto him because of the peace of the blood of the cross. I think many, many of us today, we know that we are reconciled back unto Christ, but I think most of us, many of us, don't understand what it really means to be under the supremacy of Christ. I don't think we understand what it means to be reconciled back to his supremacy. And forgive me for this illustration, but frankly, I think, I honestly think fanboys and fangirls get this right. I honestly do. And I don't care what generation you're from, you get what a fanboy and fangirl is. And maybe you are that fanboy or that fangirl. I don't care if it's 5 seconds of Sunmer or or you're a fanboy or, or fangirl of Justin Bieber, Insync, Boys to Men, Michael Jackson, the Beatles, Elvis, Pres- it doesn't matter what generation you're from, you know what this is, right? And you know what fanboys and fangirls are like. It consumes everything, right? You don't just buy their music. You don't just jam to it when it's on the radio. You you line up hours in advance to get tickets to the concerts, right? And when there's an autograph signing, you camp out overnight so that you can have that one moment to actually see and maybe shake the hand and maybe get a picture with that guy and you buy all of the merch. And and for my generation, you have the same display picture as they do on Twitter and Instagram and you retweet everything. they. It consumes everything. But way too often we make our relationship to the supremacy of Christ a formal and routine thing. I think there are two common yet false ways that we think about my place in the supremacy of Christ. The first common but false way to think about my relationship to the supremacy of Christ is the checklist, right? right. The checklist uh, says um, God gets highest priority. Now that sounds okay, like God first, and then my family, and then my job, uh, and then my small group, and then my hobbies, and then my chores, or my educations. in there too. The checklist says God gets highest priority. And that sounds okay, but in a minute we'll understand why this is a false way to think about God's supremacy. The checklist says God gets highest priority. The second false way is the pie chart, okay? The pie chart says God gets the most, right? Think about, again, when I think about my job or my education or my family, or my friends, my hobbies, my chores, all of this has a percentage of the pie, but I, I'm just going to make sure that God has the highest percentage of the pie. God gets the most, Right? Both of these ideas are wrong ideas. Because even when I say God gets the highest, or even if I say God gets the most, I've still segregated God from all the rest of the items on the bullet points. And I've still divided my Lord to only a part of the pie. But guess what, church? God gave you the pie. L- listen to verse 16. It says, all things were created through him and for him. The checklist in the pie pie chart segregates God to a segment of my life, but all things in my life are through God. All things in my life are for God. Don't think about it like a pie chart or a checklist. Think about it like a tree, right? When a seed is planted, first the roots grow deep. And then the tree comes up. But every part of that plant, the roots and the whole, the, the, the whole of the tree and the branches and the leaves and the fruit all come as a product of the seed. And do not be confused. Every part of your life whether it's your job or your family or your hobbies or your friends, every part of you, church, exists wholly and only for the supremacy of God. Every part of us. It should consume every part of us. But if we're honest, if we're honest, we would admit, and I would be honest to say to myself, the struggle to submit is real. The struggle to submit is real. Go down to one, chapter 1, verse 28. We're going to read from chapter 28 uh, down to verse 5. Chapter 1, verse 28 says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil and struggle with all his energy that he powerfully works through me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and all those at Laodicea and all who have not seen me face to face that their hearts may be encouraged together, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, for though I am absent in body, yes, I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Here's the deal with the Colossian church, all right? They had been taught, and Paul had instructed them in the supremacy of Christ, but false teachers had emerged in their midst and were deluding them with plausible arguments that were causing them to sit back in maturity. It was causing them to delude their faith. And as a result, they were not submitting to Christ as supreme. But Paul was struggling. He wanted them to be mature in Christ. He wanted them to reach the riches of full assurance. But they were being led astray. They were being led astray because they did not have a discernment filter. They did not have a spiritual discernment filter. They listened to whatever anyone taught them. And as a result, it caused them to delude their faith. They were not submitting to Christ and they were walking in immaturity. And the same is true for us today, church. We need to develop a spiritual discernment filter because there is false teaching rampant in our world today. And it will delude the quality of your faith. And it will cause you to walk and immaturity. So Paul gives them this discernment filter in verse 6 and verse 7. He says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. How did you receive Christ Jesus the Lord? Well, you received him as the supreme creator of all things. And you received him as the supreme reconciler of all things. So here's your filter. As you received Christ, walk in him in only that way. So you would have to ask yourself, church, when things come upon your path that say they're Christ like, ask yourself, ask yourself, does this delude the supremacy of Jesus Christ? Does this minimize or maximize the glory of my Lord? Then ask yourself, ask yourself, is this influencing me to follow God's good design and purpose for my life? Or is this setting me up as supreme to follow my own design and purpose for life or our culture's design and purpose for life? But for the Colossians, the faith had become diluted. And the reason this letter was being written is because it was time for damage control. So, so now now we, become, we come to the second mindset of a mature faith that Paul presents that will correct those things that delude the supremacy of Christ. And the second mindset of a mature faith is this. I will hold fast to the authority of Christ. I will hold fast to the authority of Christ. And he says that you must hold fast to the authority of Christ. You must hold fast to his authority which defines your good design and your good purpose to follow. Hold fast to this and, and let no one take you captive. Look at verse 8. He says, See it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So the reality is this church had been captive by this this, uh, teaching that uh, scholars call Gnosticism, that is this very unholy, false amalgamation of Greek philosophy and Jewish tradition with a little mysticism thrown in there today. And it had enough Jesus in it to look like it was Christian, but it really diluted the supremacy of Christ. Paul said that it was an empty deceit, that it relied on human tradition, and elemental spirits. Another way that we can understand that is that it rejected the supernatural wholly in favor of a naturalistic perspective of the world. And these things were diluting the faith of Colossians. We can't be light with these things in our culture, church. So when I was younger, and even today... Um, Uh, And my mom could testify to this. She even did after she heard me say in the sermon last night, um, whenever I bought new clothes, I was never careful with the tags right? And maybe, maybe you're like this too. Uh, whenever I got to take the tags off, I don't, I'm not precise and get scissors and just like cut it. I think brute, brute force is the answer. I just want to get it off and wear it. So I just like, I just like pull it hard, right? And, and But if I'm not careful, it, when you pull the tag off of the clothes, it might loosen a thread or two. And over time, uh, first i just like, oh, that sucks, but whatever, I can just tuck it in, right? But, but over time, a loose thread or two might get snagged on something. Or it's going to go in the wash. And, it, and over time, it's going to start to unwind. And if you don't hem in loose threads, as soon as they come up, sooner than later, the whole article of clothing is going to unwind and unravel and it's going to be useless. And it's the same in your faith. Watch out for the loose threads. Hem in those loose threads, church. The Apostle Paul says, in response, when loose threads come, when the false teaching comes in, the response that we have to do is we have to hold fast. We have to hold fast to the authority of Christ, and we do that. Paul reminds them by showing how they've been united to Christ. He says in verse 10, you've been filled in Christ. He says in verse 11, you've been marked by Christ. He says in verse 12, you've been buried with Christ. He says in verse 13, you're now alive with Christ, church. When false teaching encroaches on you, remember how you are united with Christ. Remember that you are filled in Christ, and he is the head of all rule and authority. Remember that you are marked by Christ, and you are different from the world. Remember that you've been buried in Christ, and you are dead to your sin. You are alive in Christ, that you would live according to his good design and purpose. But I would be remiss if we would move on from here without considering some of the loose threads that are in the garment of much of the church today. And I thought and meditated on this, and I think there are, amongst others, five that I want to warn you of, church, that if they're in your life, you need to hem these in and hem them in quick. First when I wrote this, and this is probably the one that produces all of the other threads. Number one, believing that the Bible is only written from man's perspective and not God's exclusive revelation. Hem that in. If you believe, church, if you believe that the Bible is only man's perspective and not God's exclusive divine authority, then human experience will be eventually elevated to the same authority of God's word. And the truth that God revealed will no longer be looked at objective, but as relative. And you will not follow God's good design and purpose, but whatever your flesh desires. God's word is supreme. God's word is the authority. Second one, write this. If you believe in a God who used evolution evolution solely as the means of creation, you need to hem that in. Now, I know this is contentious amongst many people today, but get this. If you believe that evolution is the all-encompassing theory for how humanity exists today, then you must confess that you are a product of death and suffering because that's how evolution progresses. Death and suffering. But the Lord affirmed all his creation as good. And the scripture affirms that death and suffering came only as a product of the curse of sin. And if you believe that you are a product of only death and suffering... You believe that the problem in this world is only a physical one and not a spiritual one. Sin is a spiritual problem, and sin is the reason there's death and suffering in the world. Death and suffering is not a result of natural causes. And this is why number three, this is why number three, the church in Canada, and America, in the most part, is mainly concerned with social activism and not spiritual restoration. We've become a humanitarian organization that believes salvation is through our good works and not the gospel. And we neglect the soul. Fourthly, write this. Also as a product, if you believe that you're just a natural being, Hem this in. If you have the attitude that says, my body is my own, I can do what I want with it. Uh, No, Christian. The scripture says, you have been bought with a price. You are not your own. So glorify God in your body. And then finally, write this. Morality is only relative to society and experience. Again, a product of believing that the Bible is only man's perspective. The good is the good that, that is for now, not the good that is God commanded. Hold fast to the authority of Christ and let no one take you captive. I will hold fast to the authority of Christ. I will let no one take me captive. And then this, I will let no one pass judgment. Verse 16 to verse 17 says this, therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to festival or new moon or Sabbath these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So evidently there were false teachers that were judging the Colossians based on a distortion of the Jewish law. They were forcing them to follow a distorted view of the Jewish law, and when they were not following it, they would judge their faith. But Paul reminds them, all these things that you see in the law are a shadow of the gospel. A shadow casts an image of a a real substance. It's not the substance itself. It looks like the substance. It leads to the substance, but it's not the substance itself. For instance, one of these Old Testament rites and rituals that we would understand as a shadow would be um, the sacrifice of uh, lambs uh, for sin. Right? We understand that the scripture says that Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. We don't need to focus on this shadow when the substance is here. You don't need to subject your faith to the opinion of man when you have the instruction of God. You know what the Bible calls that, church? The Bible calls that the fear of man. And the scripture says that the fear of man lays a snare. It's right, for real. Living your life in subjection to the opinion of others will entrap you. But even more than that, living your life under the subjection of the opinion of others will string you up like a pinata. Because what the fear of man and living under the opinion of man says is, I'll give you this stick and you can beat me as much as you want until, what you get, until you get what you want out of me because I want your approval. But in the end, church, in the end, all that ends up is they get what they want and you're left beaten and broken and mangled and discarded and alone. The substance belongs to Christ. And we have Christ. Christ. And I would even say it this way, the substance belongs to Christ, and Christ has us. I'm always comforted when I remember that Jesus is my shepherd, that the Lord is my shepherd. Listen to what Christ says in John chapter 10, verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give to them eternal life. They will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Church, if you are a follower of Jesus, Christ has you. Listen to his voice. Do not listen to the voice of thieves and robbers that are only here to steal and kill and destroy. Listen to the voice of Christ. Listen to the instruction of Christ. Let no one pass judgment. And then this, let no one disqualify you. Verse 18 says, let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. So not only were these false teachers passing judgment on them, and deluding them with empty deceit. But also, they, they were teaching them that there is this secret access to be able to get to God. And apparently, this secret access for a closer relationship to God was apparently through an intermediary of angels. And then they were told, because these angels offer this intermediary access, they should be revered in some way and worshipped in some way. But don't be confused or misguided, church. If you are in Christ, you have full access to the throne room of God. You have full access to the ear of God who will listen to your prayers. You have full access to the voice of God who will instruct you in the way. Jesus Christ himself is our only mediator. I tried to think, what are the things in our culture today within church? What are the things that claim they have this secret access that if you follow them and they insist that this is the way, they'll offer you, like, yeah, Jesus is the mediator, but I got another way. Three things, three things that I thought of at least. Number one, prayers prayed to saints. And thus saints should be revered. Some of you may have come out of a Catholic background, but what you need to understand is that any prayer prayed in the name of Mary never reaches the ear of God. Worship lifted up in the name of Mary is lifted up to a false idol. Second, I would write this, Watch out for people who insist on spiritual gifts to have a certain close access with God. There are many churches in our city and in Toronto that insist that if you do not speak in tongues or if you do not prophesy, that you don't have the same access to God that others have. And, and some people, I've heard, I've heard, they tell you to go in a room and just pray until you think you can pray in tongues. And if you do, stay there until you can. We have full access to God through Jesus Christ. The spiritual gifts are given so that they would build up the church. And they are given and apportioned according to the Holy Spirit's sovereign will. Do not let anyone insist that you need to manufacture something to get to God. And then third, I would say this. Watch out for those preachers who insist that they have a special anointing and that if you listen to their teaching, usually with a credit card available and calling a certain number, that you get special access to God. They have nothing. All preachers are this, servants and stewards, and nothing else. Let no one disqualify you. You have full access to the throne of God through Jesus and Jesus alone. Hold fast to his authority, church. Hold fast to his authority. Let no one disqualify you. Let no one pass judgment on you. Let no one hold you captive. And then this. If you hold fast, if you say, I will hold fast to the theory of Christ, we must say, I will let go of sinful appetites. I will let go of sinful appetites. Not only does Paul tell us the mindsets of a mature faith, but he also tells us what mature Christian faith looks like. And look with me at verse 21 to 23 of chapter 2. He says, Why do you submit yourself to regulations, do not handle, do not teach, do not touch, referring to all things that perish as they are used? according to human precepts and teachings. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh." This is as we progress towards Colossians three, verse one to four, as we progress to what it means to walk in maturity, we begin to see we begin to see what we must do to be mature if we're submitting to the supremacy of Christ and holding fast to the authority of Christ. We will let go of sinful desires. All of these false things where people insist or disqualify or pass judgment or try to keep you captive will not be of any value for you. In your sanctification, they will not stop the indulgence of the flesh. As we walk in the supremacy of Christ, we must let go of sinful appetite. So I would ask you, church, what are you feeding on? What's the sin that grips so closely? What's the sin that offers itself to you daily for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and brunch, and snack, and fourth meal? What's the sin? And then ask yourself, do you want to starve this? And, and if so, how, how, how do you starve it? I must confess, it's, it's true. I love microwave food. It's delicious. Microwaveable food is delicious. Um... I, I, when I was in high school, I ate Kraft dinner like weekly to a degree that it was very detrimental for my health. <laughs> but I loved it, it was really easy. Put it in the microwave, 12 minutes, Start every three, put it back in, delicious. Pizza pockets, mmm. And nachos and cheese, same thing. You know what? Microwaveable food is, it's cheap, it's inexpensive, it's quick, it's easy to make, and it's delicious. But you know what? Microwaveable food, Hours later, always turns my stomach in knots. Always turns my stomach a knots. You know what's really delicious, though? Steak. Whenever I would go to a ritzy restaurant, I'm buying steak every time. Cooked medium or medium rare with nice potatoes on the side. You know, here's the thing about steak. Steak is expensive. Steak is expensive and it takes a long time to prepare. But You know what? It, it's, it's delicious. And it does not leave my stomach in knots afterwards. The solution to letting go of your sinful appetite isn't, I just need to starve this sin. I just need to submit myself to regulations and say, no, and no, and no. The solution to letting go of your sinful appetite is feeding your soul with a spiritual appetite. The solution is the third and final mindset of a mature faith. I will seek after the glory of Christ. I will submit to the supremacy of Christ. I will hold fast to the authority of Christ, and I will seek after the glory of Christ. It's taken a macro view of Colossians to get back to here, but finally we've returned. Colossians 3, verse 1 to 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. In the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord Jesus says to his followers, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and here's a promise, for they will be satisfied. They will be satisfied. Church, your sinful appetite is cheap. It's easy to go after, always available for you. But can you testify this with me? It makes me feel shameful afterwards. Always makes me feel shameful afterwards. Yet the glory of Christ is rich, It takes discipline to get it. But it satisfies every longing of my soul. And each one of you here today can taste and see that the Lord is good. Paul says, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated. Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated, church. Seek the things that exalt his supremacy, church. Seek the things that show Jesus Christ is Lord. All things are created through Him and for Him. I've been reconciled to Him, and I exist for supremacy. Seek those things. That will satisfy your heart's desire. Don't seek the things that are on earth. They will not satisfy. Listen listen to 1 John 2, verse 15-17. to Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world... Listen, listen. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, it's cheap. The de- desires of the eyes, it makes me feel shameful. The pride of possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world and all its desires, like that cheap microwavable food, is, are passing away but whoever does the will of God abides forever. I will submit to the supremacy of Christ. I will hold fast to the authority of Christ. I will seek after the glory of Christ. This is a mature faith, church. This is the faith that walks in a manner worthy of the Lord. Is that your desire today? Is that your desire today? Then I would pray, I would pray for you. Seek the things that are above. Let go of the things of the earth. And I pray that the Lord would make those things that you eat day after day taste like ash in your mouth. That you would look to the things above and eat richly of the Lord. Church, let's pray together. Father, thank you so much Thank you so much that you have risen your church with Jesus Christ. Thank you that you have risen us to new life. And God, thank you that we have been reconciled unto your authority and unto your supremacy. And God, I would pray for the church today that that we would seek the things that are above. I pray that we would seek your authority and your supremacy. And I pray that we would not seek the things of the earth. I pray that we would not seek the things that do not satisfy, but Lord, that we would seek you and you alone. Thank you for the promise of Jesus Christ saying, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. God, I pray that our church would be a blessed church a blessed church that believes the promises of God, a blessed church that seeks after God, and a blessed church that is satisfied in you, God. And Lord, let our church be a witness to other churches and be a witness to our culture of what it means to submit to the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Lord, make me that too. We need you. Hear our cry, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.